0: Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderland Thompson Technology. I'm Joa Milne, and once a month we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. Castened by the pandemic, shopping has changed. We've seen marketplaces strengthen their positions, an abundance of new direct to consumer offerings popping up, advances in social commerce, and the rise of aggregators. To win online, it's vital that businesses know how consumers are shopping across channels and markets and how they will shop in the future. Following the launch, of the fifth edition of the Future Shopper Report by Wonderman Thompson Commerce. This month, the experience makers talk to their head of thought leadership, Hugh Fletcher, and head of innovation, Najee El-Arifi, as they touch upon the recent report findings and consider what consumers want from their digital shopping experience and how retailers can deliver. Nanji, Hugh, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Again, you've both been guests um, on the Experience Makers in the past. It's nice to have you both here at the same time to talk to us. And Indeed, we're going to be talking about the future shopper uh, today, which is a report that you both worked on that came out from Wonderman Thomson Commerce. But let's start by, by setting the scene a little bit. Who was surveyed and why did you choose them, Hugh? I'm going to go to you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is the fifth year we've done Future Shopper and each year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And this year we we surveyed 28,000 consumers across 17 different countries spanning um, ages from 16 right up to 55 plus uh, with the aim of trying to find out what trends are across the world, across the globe, what the similarities were and and what some of the differences were as well.
0: Incredible. And obviously we can't talk about, well, anything without discussing COVID, but particularly um, when thinking about themes around shopping, because of course, uh, well, we've been talking about it on our podcast, the the huge changes that have been happening um, around the world, but obviously everybody has been feeling it over the past 16 months or however many it's been now. Um, Did the report highlight any surprising differences this year in particular?
2: I think one of the most surprising things that we've actually seen over the last year or so is how people are getting more comfortable with technology in general. So that was uh, 60% across the entire study. But also, most interestingly, is a lot of people are asking us whether or not um, the change was going to be permanent or not. And so one of the things that we found is that actually 80% of people said that their, their purchasing behaviours has actually changed for good, with only 8% saying they'd go back to exactly the way it was. So this was probably one of the most interesting things, because kind of showed how, you know, some people may have been buying grocery shopping for the first time online and realizing, hey, it's not that, that bad of an experience. You know, this is really easy. I don't have to go to, to the shop and queue for an hour and, you know, have a kind of crappy experience, I can just buy it all online and have it delivered to my house. And I don't have to do all of that work. And I think what's also quite interesting is some of the countries where it was just really high. So like Argentina, I think that was, that was 94% of people said their purchasing behaviors had changed for good, which is just incredible. And I think the lowest score, by the way, of all the 17 countries we did was Germany. And that was 59% have changed for good. And that's, that's still a huge number. So it just shows you how much of a shift has happened due to COVID and how much of it is just going to hang around into the future as well.
0: The report data, you know, it said that there was 60% of global shoppers are now more comfortable with technology. And it sounds like what you're saying that it's, it's not just a case of people making that shift to plug the gap that COVID has given us, but instead is going, actually, it's kind of here to stay or these new habits have been formed and, and, and so on and so forth. So what sort of implications, I guess, did you, did you think from that? I think,
1: Gemma, you mentioned that that figure out people becoming more comfortable with technology. I mean, we probably all have stories, don't we, of, of people we know who perhaps previously weren't used to dealing with technology who now are very comfortable doing that. I mean, um, you know, I've got three young kids now, um, you know, one probably too young at, at three months to be able to do anything technically, but a, a nine year old and a six year old who are now totally at ease with all kinds of technologies having been homeschooled. And then I think at the other end of the spectrum, I think of my parents who previously were, were quite technology afraid, suddenly being forced to, to take on technology, um, to, to do video conferencing, to order online at times when perhaps they, they weren't before. Uh, so we probably all got examples of that in our own lives where we kind of see it. What's, what's striking really is that, that we got the, the data to back that up. So while that might not be a surprise, just the, the percentage of consumers who say that they're more comfortable and the percentage of consumers who say, as a consequence, their shopping habits have changed for good is, is absolutely huge and probably quite surprising.
0: If a high percentage of consumers are saying that they're both comfortable with technology and saying they're going to stick with it and that their habits have changed... What does that mean in terms of going back to stores? I mean, did you kind of get some information there about perhaps being worried about going back to stores if they're, you know, not going to want to go back regardless of of, of time? Um, you know, with so many times you hear about this, the, a, a digital has killed retail and so on and so forth. Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so we've been tracking actually the sort of fear of going back into store over a number of different pieces of research. So back in September last year, it was about 48% of consumers said they were frightened. Uh, As we sort of came out of that initial lockdown period, uh, that reduced down to about 24%. And then we reran the research again um, in April and it had risen again to about 36%, I think, off the top of my head. Um, So what that indicates is that people are afraid to go into store still. Um, albeit, we'll start to get more used to it as I guess we, we we gradually open up and 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 get accustomed to going out. Although it is worth reminding ourselves that across the world we are we are at very different stages of, of opening up from different from the pandemic, and uh, some countries still very much in the midst of it. Some countries, you know, uh, seemingly getting towards the end of it. Some countries opening up. Um, I think though, despite that fear, what was quite interesting from all of our research was. The push for omnichannel—that's a horrible word to use—and it's you know, sort of very industry-specific. But essentially, you know, consumers wanting to buy from a variety of different sources and channels. And while we see a bounce in online. So when we asked consumers, would they continue to spend more online post-pandemic, the answer was absolutely yes, they would. Um, around about 51% of their spending, they said, would be online. What they also told us was that they want to shop with brands and retailers that had physical stores. And that was right across the board. So we have a tendency to think about the younger generations as digitally native, Um but that doesn't mean digitally exclusive. So while they are very versant with uh, technology, while they're very happy to shop online, they also want to go into store, feel products, um, have experiences. Um, they want the social side of going shopping. So uh, I think while our data tells us that there's a big shift towards online mm-hmm. buying, it certainly doesn't say that physical
2: retail is dead. I mean, the, the number we're getting there, by the way, is, is 64% across the entire study that said that and they prefer to shop with a retailer that had a physical store as well. So people want that double experience. They want the online and they want the physical.
0: So let's let's build on that a little bit. Let's talk a bit about customer journey, because if you're having 64% of people saying they want this dual, or I mean, probably three, four, five, not just two, um, touch points and, and abilities and ways of, of engaging with brands, um, what does the sort of sudden increase in digital commerce mm-hmm out of need, the fact that, you know, companies have just had to do this. Um, how's that changed the customer journey? Is it has been quite significant or at least the expectations around it, at least I can imagine.
2: We're starting to see more people wanting what we're calling compressed commerce. So this idea of wanting to get from inspiration all the way through to purchase as quickly as possible. And that's, I think, one reason why we're starting to see such a high rise in customers utilizing marketplaces for the inspiration and the search phase. Of of the the customer journey, and I think that was one of the most surprising things that we've started getting over the last couple of years, is how dominant you know people like Amazon and Alibaba and Mercado Libre are across the entire journey. So whereas we used to think of them as, oh yeah, they're, they're pretty good in search, they're you know they're pretty good in purchase, they're now starting to get really good in inspiration phase as well.
0: well can you build on that a little bit? Because for I mean, you know, maybe it's just a uh my usage of Amazon but I certainly don't think of it as a place for inspiration I mean god the recommendations is <laughs> normally pretty bad and it doesn't look beautiful sort of you know so tell me build on that a little bit what do you mean by, have they changed the way they're doing things in order to kind of make that inspirational feel online you know a different design is it nice what is it that's sort of shifted from that perspective
2: so there's there's multiple things that they've done, but some of it is mainly UI-based, but also the fact that they've got so much stuff. They sell everything, right? So if you're thinking about you know, remodeling or buying loads of different products, what you'll probably do is start off there and have a look around. But they've started doing like Amazon's got quite an interesting thing with furniture now. So you can go in and say, you know, I, I really like the look of this particular um, leg of this table, right? And then you can actually choose styledized Parts of that experience, like you know, the top, the type of wood, and it will—you can add a thumbs up or a thumbs down to it, and that basically helps you navigate and search and inspire you to find new things that you can then add to your basket or you know find out more information on or you know read the reviews of. So they're doing things like that that help with the inspiration. So it's, I
0: suppose less a kind of. Um uh, beautiful, kind of uh, creative—the sort of thing that you might get in a sa- in a good store, right?
2: It's it's more exactly uh, because Amazon's always been really transactional, right? They, you you go to the website and you just think, wow, well, this isn't the best looking site in the world, but it works so well. It's so fast. It's you know it's got all the functionality you need. Now they're starting to layer on these extra bits, which allow them to actually expand out of just oh. I need to get, you know, a chair and, I'm, and I know exactly what I'm going for. I'm going to go get it. Now they've started to do this thing where now you're just searching chair into the search field and seeing what there is and starting to explore and get ideas and then go through to purchase. And it's just easy, right? Like I just need to go to one place now and I can find and explore the things that I want and then, you know, buy it done and it's delivered the next day kind of thing. So it's just, it's that ease Everyone's looking for ease.
1: Yeah, we said for a long time, one of the, the key drivers <clears throat> is sort of range, ease, speed, and convenience. And while we think of inspiration as sort of beautiful imagery, beautiful experiences, it isn't necessarily that. I mean, it's that where do I get my inspiration to purchase might be from a very effective search. It might be from just having uh, a huge number of products to search through or to see. Uh, and as Najee quite rightly says, it's that that convenience and the fact that you almost default to Amazon which means that we start to see these numbers for inspiration spike quite heavily, and ultimately that results in about forty two percent of all online spend go- globally going through marketplaces, uh, which is which is you know pretty incredible, um, and certainly should should focus lots of businesses' attentions on the fact that they need to have very strong marketplace strategies. Albeit they shouldn't just be focusing on marketplaces; they should also be concentrating on a variety of different other channels as well.
0: So let's build on that a little bit, Hugh, in terms of what it is businesses should do considering um, the state of things and, and, and particularly also the, the results of your report with this shift to online digital purchasing and the shift to, to liking the marketplace model or, or whatever it is that's offering specifically for consumers, you know, what you know, direct to consumer business model is is the way forward. Is it you know just making sure you're listing everything on these on these platforms, or is it about trying to change what your selling customer journey actually looks like? Or is it? I'm assuming it's probably a bit of both.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a bit of everything really. But I suppose when we talk about this, we always talk about a balanced commerce. Uh, channel strategy, um, which is essentially looking across four key channels. So yes, marketplaces take a huge percentage of online sales. So we'd say absolutely you need to have a strategy for that. But of course, they're also the retailers as well. So you need to work out how you're selling and merchandising through the, those retailers. Uh, then, of course, there's direct to consumer. We'll talk about that a bit later, I guess. Um, and then the rise of social commerce as well. So we would say any business now thinking about how they're selling online really needs to be looking across those, those four areas. Um, And of course, while we say 42% of uh, online sales goes via marketplaces, that means there's a considerable percentage that is not going through marketplaces. And that also needs to be covered. Um, So, I mean, for instance, D2C, what we've seen in the last uh, 18 months is a rise in D2C. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is some of the issues around availability during lockdowns. So, um, I don't know if, if you experienced this. I certainly did, whereby you you were looking for certain things which were were out of stock. And there are obviously some big supply chain and logistical issues which happened as a consequence of COVID. So not everything was in stock that you might expect to be in stock. Uh, and so you were forced to look in other areas. So if I use my own example, um, we were looking to redecorate the room. Uh, normally, that might be a trip to B&Q. So instead, we said, right, let's go. Let's go and look online at B&Q and B&Q as a consequence of just the humongous number of people who were, who were looking to buy DIY things, um, they had implemented a waiting room, an online waiting room, which, which was very cumbersome, not a fantastic experience, and to be honest, quite irritating. Um, and in the end, we, we, we jumped out of that, we decided not to do that, and we decided to go direct to the paint manufacturer and buy it from them. So that is a journey that normally would not have been taken, um, but under the circumstances was. And we see people like uh, PepsiCo with snacks.com and uh, Heinz also building kind of D2C platforms. Uh, We've worked with Unilever to build a a Lever Direct platform. Um, So we're talking about direct-to-consumer experiences that previously uh, were not there and are being supplied by businesses that previously were not in, in the D2C market. So, um, so they definitely need to be thinking about what their D2C capability is. And then kind of with a bit of a, an eye further to the future is thinking about that social commerce angle as well. So a business now needs to be thinking across those four key areas to make sure um, that its strategy is right. Now, it may not operate in all those four areas. It may prioritize one, but it definitely needs to be thinking about those four key channels in order to have their commerce ch- uh, channel strategy correct.
0: Let's, let's stick with um, direct-to-consumer because this is a really interesting um, shift that I think is, it isn't just a case of, oh, we can do things online, so now people want to go direct. It, it was fueled much more by this specific supply chain issue, which arguably you know, could have been another kind of thing that would affect um, supply chain, but really is a sort of, a, a quote-unquote, freak event that's, that's caused this shift. First of all, do you think that that's here to stay that people are going to be, you know, if they're comfortable already doing D2C, they're going to stick with it or are they going to go back to uh, whether it's the, the B&Q that has multiple brands or the Amazon that has multiple online? Um, and, and, and if so, you know, if that's going to stick, what what does that mean for these D2C brands? Should they be, you know, continuing to invest in making sure that they can do that in a great way? Or, you know, what would be your advice based on the, the sort of research that you, you undertook?
1: Yeah. So I, th- I think, I think we kind of mentioned it before. So sort of rangey speed convenience and kind of with that is just the general laziness of consumers. So consumers will tend to default to something that is easy. Now, one thing you've always got with, with D2C, um, particularly with branded kind of sites is that you're, you're making a consumer take a slightly more convoluted journey. So it has to be worthwhile. There has to be some kind of benefit to doing that, be that exclusive products, um, you know, uh, Uh, ranges that you can't get somewhere else, um, some kind of loyalty scheme, there has to be some kind of benefit of doing it in order for for D2C to work. In addition, what we found is that currently D2C accounts for probably about 8% of the market of online spending, but only 6% of consumers say that it is a great experience. So what you clearly see there is that actually lots of consumers are thinking about going to brands rather than to retailers and marketplaces. But when they're getting there, it's actually the experience is not as good as it could be. So there's a a huge amount of investment that needs to be done to make sure that that experience is good. So that in the event that a consumer is prepared to take a slightly more convoluted journey, that when they get there, they have the right experience. Uh, They're kept there uh, and they transact there. And and Najee talked a little bit earlier on about compressed commerce. So how do we get them through that stage from sort of inspiration search through to purchase as quickly as possible? What you don't want to be doing is um, driving consumers to a D2C site only then to lose them somewhere else. So getting them through that experience as quickly as possible and making them transact is really important.
0: Nadja, I want to come to you on this uh, to hear a little bit more about this, you know, what 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 are consumers actually saying? Uh, you know, you obviously go in and, and, and ask them in terms of what it is they want to change about D 2 C online shopping experience, but also what is encouraging them to buy directly from brands. And I wondered specifically if they're in your sort of research or so anything came out around ethics because uh, a lot of the kind of you hear a lot of discussion or at least at the start of the pandemic anyway which was all about you know shop small because we need to support small businesses buy direct from you know bookstores for instance it was a huge campaign in the in the, the book community which i'm very much part of so buy far too many um and it was all about buying independent and of course there's a sort of anti-amazon sort of thing too so i a is that ethics being part of the thing that you 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 heard about from consumers and but more generally, what were they saying?
2: Yeah, so um, one of the the trends we definitely saw is how over uh, the last five years, people are becoming more environmentally conscious. You know, taking into account brands and ethics. Uh, one of the things that we found is sixty seven percent of people take into account a company's ethics and morals when they're making a, a purchase decision, and that's really interesting because that starts to mean that people are starting to. Think more about this kind of stuff. They're doing a little more research into the brand itself, um, and then on top of that, a lot of people are actually wanting more environmental options as well. So not just uh, things like less packaging, they want more options for reduced carbon footprint. Um, but there, there is there is a huge caveat here because one of the things we noticed is, of course, if you ask someone, you know, are you more are you environmentally friendly? There aren't many people who are going to say no to that. And so one of the things we wanted to figure out is, well, can we kind of, I wouldn't say trick someone, out, but get an honest answer out of them, right? Because it's so it's, it's so easy for, for someone to lie on that. So we kind of had that question in there, you know, are you more environmentally friendly? And then further in, in, in some of the countries, you have uh, something called, in the UK, it's called Amazon day delivery. And that's effectively... Uh, you you choose a day once per week that all your deliveries get sent to. So you know you purchase something on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, it'll all get delivered to you on say your th- a Thursday or a Friday. You like nominate a day. It's more environmentally friendly, reduces the amount of deliveries, easier for Amazon. It's just like it, it's kind of like a, a bit of a win win. And surprisingly, I think forty three percent of people said that the environment was more important than fast delivery. Um, but when we actually drilled out it and we got this stuff back in Amazon day delivery, if we're looking at specifically the UK, only 34% have actually used it. 45% said they'd never used it and 21% said they didn't even know what it was. So while people talk a big game about what they want to get, it is really what they want to get, but on top of that, they want a good service as well. So they may, you know, they, they still want their thing to arrive the next day. But they want you, the brand, to do it in a way that is net zero. So it's like all, all the pressure is basically on the brand because as a customer, we want things that are environmentally friendly and we also don't want to sacrifice the service. And so it's a real difficult problem for a brand to, to grapple with because you can't just say, oh, do you know what? We've we've electrified everything, you know, we're using renewable everything. Um and your product's gonna arrive in three weeks, right? Just no. It's just, the person is just gonna be like, "I'm out." Especially in the younger generation as well, because you know some of the stats we got from some of our other reports was like twenty percent of, of Gen Alpha said they'd never buy from somewhere that can't deliver the next day. So I mean, as soon as you say you're delivering, and you know more than three days, someone's out. So you've got to be able to to deliver both parts of the the equation there.
1: And the, I think the foundations. Came out quite clear as well so so now just talked about delivery there so i think it's 30 percent of global online shoppers said they expect orders to arrive within 24 hours and four percent said they expected them to arrive uh within two hours um in addition to that they they talked about availability being an issue but then when we asked them what would they change about online shopping they said faster delivery and free returns so while sustainability is hugely important while while it's vital that businesses get their common strategy right um, about sustainability they can't do that if they're not building it on a strong foundation and that strong foundation has to be fast delivery free returns or easy returns um, and availability of products too
0: amazing let's um let's switch a little bit thinking about the future of commerce in general because um, i would love to get your both your thoughts both of, off the back of this report but also based on you know your your experience more generally um in the roles that you have Social media has obviously been a channel to watch in digital commerce for a number of years. Um, but do you think consumers are really sort of switched on to this idea of social commerce yet? You know, what what would make consumers use social commerce more, or how can? How can businesses grow this channel? Hugh, let's start with you. Yes, I think
1: the stats that we got are very surprising actually. So I think we see this as quite a sort of a nascent part of uh, commerce, but in fact 44% of global shoppers said they've already bought from a social platform. Now that's probably not within the platform, but that's that's probably from sort of getting the inspiration, perhaps linking out to the site and actually buying. And then 56% said they intend to shop more through social platforms in the future. So I mean a couple of stats but but basically what that means is that consumers want to shop via these platforms and intend to shop more in the future so it's definitely something that businesses need to look at um we did some research a little while ago into into businesses about whether they had social commerce strategies and in fact 70% of them said that they did now we take that that stat with a little bit of a, a pinch of salt really um but in addition to that, they also said that they felt in in 10 years or within 10 years, social commerce would be the number one channel to sell through. So while we're not quite at a stage yet where um, it's very easy to transact on platform and there's full product catalogs and there's full back integration, what we definitely know is there's a huge number of consumers there. They want to shop through those platforms. And actually lots of people in the digital industry know that that's going to be the platform for the future.
0: Najee, I want to bring you in from the sort of innovation perspective here um you know it, it, i don't want to say is it even possible to shop on social pl- uh, platforms easy nowadays because the answer is obviously it depends um but i know from my own experience of you know seeing something on instagram and then wanting to try and buy it, it's not always quite as simple as doing it from my laptop say um and going straight on the onto the website so tell us a little bit about the state of play from a, from the from the tech the innovation perspective with regards to this question around the future of social commerce
2: yeah so I mean the it's still super early days in terms of social commerce because while they do have some integrations they are not for example fully integrated with a with a brand back-end system to allow them to say have access to things like inventory and uh, stock availability all that kind of stuff So it's still quite early on. But because social media is so high up on the list for people's inspiration, and even for what influences them to buy, once these things get turned on properly, and you can say, purchase directly from within an Instagram post, for example, that is going to be a huge shift, because that is even easier. You know, we were talking about the idea of compressed commerce, right? You know, how can I get from inspiration to purchase as fast as possible? Oh, I'm scrolling through Instagram. I see something amazing. I can literally tap a buy button and I've got it. So that is going to be one of the quickest ways to get it. And one thing just to, to add on as well is the fact that, especially from the younger age groups, so we're talking like uh, 16 to 24, it's you know social media influencers are still really important as well. Because when we ask people, you know, what influences you to purchase? It's social media influencers were second for um, sixteen to twenty-four year olds, so it went friends, social media influencers, and then family, um, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, and then twenty-five to thirty-four, there was only one percent difference between family members and social media influencers. So it shows you just how much power there is there, just dormantly sitting there, waiting for these integrations to happen. So if you want to get a little nerdy, you know, once Instagram integrates with, you know, WebSphere Commerce or um, I don't know, Magento properly, we're going to start to potentially see even more interesting uses and a, probably a, a huge spike in usage and purchasing through that um, that channel. Going then back to your point
0: here around, you're saying that however many brands say that they have a strategy for things and you have to kind of, take that with a pinch of salt kind of zooming that out a little bit and thinking about uh strategy more generally in terms of future shopper um obviously based on on this report as we begin to look beyond the pandemic and um and not just that also just changes in in the way the world works and you know the reason that we, we we end up having these shifts anyway due to innovations or changes in culture and social trends what do you think success will look like um in a sort of altered world that we're, that we're emerging into. And what does that mean in terms of building strategy uh, for brands moving forward?
1: Well, that's a pretty big question. Um, uh, I think, I think like we mentioned before, the, 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 omni-channel view is, is, is very important. So, so the ability to buy in whatever way I want, wherever I want, whenever I want is, is key. And to do that brands and businesses need to be, available across all different channels. Um, they also need to be thinking about, about their products. So, I mean, we, we touched on the importance of, of delivery. We touched on the speed at which um, consumers want things to be delivered. And actually, when we think about the number of, or the percentage of consumers who want things to be delivered in two hours, as I said, globally, that's that's 4%. That seems almost impossible to imagine that a, that a product will be picked, packed, delivered to you in, in two hours. However kind of when, when we were looking at this, we were thinking, well, actually, lots of the stuff that we buy online is, is digital. So actually 33% of everything that's bought online is, is a digital product. And more and more consumers, I think about 46%, say that they want to buy more products that are, are instantly downloadable and are digital themselves. So I think there's kind of a reframing of, of what the products are that are on offer as well. So if you have a physical product which needs to be delivered within two hours to a consumer to meet their expectations, that's going to be pretty hard. If you have a digital product... Uh, you know, two hours for a, for a download is, is actually quite a long time. So, um, I think businesses need to reassess what it is they're selling now. Now, when we talk to businesses about this, sometimes they say, well, you know, hang on a minute, you know, I I sell a physical product that's never going to be digital. That's, that's not something I can do. Um, and we always talk about sort of well, what parts of the process can be digitized, what services around the side can be digitized. And the example we always use is, is sort of pizza ordering. So you're never going to have a digital pizza to eat. You're always going to want a physical pizza to eat. Um, but actually the order.
0: How disappointing would it be if you got a digital very pizza? Very disappointing
1: indeed. Very. Um, or if you had to print it through your, through your 3D printer, for instance, so that would make quite a mess. Um no, no, no. But no. what what services can be can be digitized? It's an interesting. Look at, at what's happened with kind of pizza ordering. So so the ordering happens online, the customizing happens online, the tracking happens online. Uh, all those services around the side have been digitized, and so it's also important that businesses not only think about the channels they're going to sell through, but also what it is they're actually selling. Um, and then and then I guess one of the major trends we've seen is uh, service. So um, we talk a lot about. Uh, loyalty to brand versus loyalty to service we've seen a huge shift in the last couple of years it's a trend we've been tracking for for a good few years now through future shopper towards consumers being loyal to service being good rather than the brands itself so so while brand is still important actually when we ran some research into it we found that brand came 16th in terms of it's importance versus a variety of other different factors and most of those are around service and this was particularly important during lockdown when um I guess, consumers needed businesses and retailers to step up and help them. And those businesses that really sort of uh, won the hearts and minds of consumers were those that services continued uninterrupted. So, you know, again, we talk about the likes of Amazon being able to continue pretty much uninterrupted and provide service. Um, even organizations like like the Royal Mail, who carried on um, uh, providing posts in, in our research, came out, came out very strongly. So we also need businesses and brands to to reflect on on what the importance of brand is versus what the importance of service is. And, and underlying all those really important brand elements are how can I service my client, um, or my customer? Um, how can I get my product in quickly? How can I make sure that it's never not available? How can I make that returns process easy? How can I make the experience enjoyable? So brands and retailers and and, and businesses need to think
0: about that as well. Najee, from your perspective, what what are the sort of ingredients for success? Similar sort of question to Hugh, but perhaps particularly with your your innovation hat on, what would you say are the sort of things that um, that brands need to be thinking about when they're when they're making these strategies and making these plans for the future?
2: So I think if if we look at it in 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 two parts, so one, making sure that like you said, Hugh said um, you're you're where your customers are. So whether that's D two C marketplace retailers or um, social media. So if you're, you're in all those areas, you need to have a strategy that's specific for each of them, I think. So we're starting to see a lot of brands now starting to do things like, you know, D2C becomes their personalization strategy, you know, like that's where we personalize products. Retailers, maybe exclusives. Um, marketplaces is their kind of uh, bog standard stuff. And then social becomes like, you know, you want to maybe clearance or uh, inspirational high high net worth products. Um, so having a a specific strategy for all of them is really, really important, I think. And then when it comes to technology, more and more people are getting comfortable with technology, like we said earlier, which means that it's really important to make sure that you are testing out these new technologies. For example, like voice, um, you know, more and more people are utilizing, you know, smart speakers. I've got them in every single, um, room in my house, much to my wife's annoyance. Um, but more and more people are using them. They're getting more comfortable with them, uh, which we're seeing from the data that we've gotten over the last couple of years, which means making sure as a brand that you are testing these things and you know, maybe running focus groups to say, um, you know, is this something our customers actually want to use? Is it something that is going to make the experience better? And I think running these kind of like design sprints or workshops with customers or focus groups will help narrow down and figure out, do you even need to invest the money into the voice Um, Technology, or is it something that um, maybe you just need to wait on? But you don't know until you start testing it. So, from my point of view, I think it's really important that brands actually get their hands dirty, start playing with new technologies because, you know, these things are the the, the amount of effort it can take to build some of these things is quite high. So, if you are coming into this second, you're going to be a bit far behind. Like, if you're a brand right now, let's say you're a grocer and you're thinking, you know what, I think I might do the Amazon Go stuff. You know, I want to I be able to create a store where you can just go in, pick something and leave. Well, Amazon started looking into that about six to eight years ago. So if you want to create that technology yourself, that's a lot of work. And you are now going to be so late to the party, which means you're now probably going to end up licensing that technology and you don't own that technology. And now you can't control the experience and now someone's, you know, you're paying someone else to do it. So there are all these questions that now start to come out because you haven't put the investment early on to actually try out these new technologies and see whether or not people want them.
1: Sorry to interrupt, Najee, but Also, I mean, we did some <laughs> research a while ago looking at how far in advance businesses plan. Um, and uh, in the digital commerce industry, the average in the UK was 15.5 months. They were planning ahead. Now, when you think that your major competitors are, are people like Amazon, you realize how difficult it is to compete because basically the, the plane upon which you are planning what you're going to do it, is much shorter so, I mean, we all saw sort of Jeff Bezos fly off into space the other day. He's talking about building his road to space. And, and we've long talked about space and commerce and the infrastructure of space and will he warehouse in space and will he distribute products from space and do production in space and all that kind of stuff. If one of your major competitors, which, you're, which your customers can very easily default to, is planning upon you know a, a, a timeline which is decades long and you're planning against... 15.5 months, you're you are in quite a lot of trouble. So um, we spend quite a lot of our time, Najee and myself, trying to encourage people to, to specifically with commerce technology and with, with uh, commerce trends, is to plan much, much further ahead uh, so they can start thinking about what, what the commerce industry and what consumers are going to be doing in, in decades' time so they can start doing proof of concept now, testing things out now, which will ultimately come into effect in, in you know five, ten years' time.
0: So let me let me ask you both one final question. I'd love to hear um, your your single piece of advice, hopefully. You'll probably do more than one because I always ask this question, people always do more than one, but that's fine. I'd love some advice um, from you both in terms of what businesses can can do right now. Um, based on based on your research, based on this report, um, what is a really good next step that someone listening to the show can, can act on? I know you're saying about planning months and months in advance, but we've got to take action now, Hugh. Let's, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say something really obvious and simple, which is talk to your customers, talk to your consumers. Uh, that sounds very obvious, but actually the number of organisations that do it is very low. And, and and know what the customer experience is, know what the journey is. Uh, lots of businesses don't really know how their customers search where they get inspiration, why they transact with them. They don't understand the parts of the journey that work. They don't understand the friction points. They don't understand the negative experiences. Um, so I would say the first thing you have to do is know what your customer experience is, know what your customer journey is. Um, and from that, you can build a very strategic roadmap to improving it. And you know, there's, there's some fantastic people in our business who look at uh, customer experience roadmapping, service design. Um, whose job it is to go in and look at the customer experience, the customer journey, and identify exactly those points and provide those strategic roadmaps to, to businesses to improve them. And I think with that in mind, then you can start to identify what the things you need to address now and also then what the things you are you need to plan against for the future to make sure that customer experience is, is brilliant in three, five, or 10 years' time, whatever, whatever the, the, the plan is. Um, but you can definitely get a view of what needs to be
2: improved by, by just knowing what your consumers are doing.
0: Brilliant Hugh. Same question to you, Angie.
2: I mean, as as I talk about new technology a lot, I would say people underestimate how little effort you can put into creating a proof of concept that you can test with a customer. People seem to think that it takes, you know, weeks and months and all this kind of stuff. And really, I think me and one of my colleagues we, we knocked up a, a voice demo in less than a day because we just cheated because we just wanted to see whether or not the customer would like it. So I was actually in another room, right, with a script, and the Bluetooth speaker was in the room, and we said that, that was the smart speaker. I was actually in another room with a bunch of audio files, and they talked to the speaker, and I would play different files to make it sound like they were having a conversation with an assistant. And all that did was give the, the, the brand client that we were working with an idea of, Is this even something we want to invest in? Are people going to have that kind of a conversation? Are they even going to try and use it? I think people tend to hear the word, you know, proof of concept or, you know, innovation. And they think, oh, my goodness, I'm about to spend like hundreds of thousands of pounds here to just test something. And actually, you know, if you just want to dip your toe and just figure out what's going on, it it doesn't take that much effort. It doesn't take that much time.
0: Amazing. Two really nice concrete next steps and of course the third one would be to to go and download the report and and have a read of it of the future chopper 2021 and if you've you've enjoyed hearing all these stats and brilliant pieces of insight there's obviously tons more in there that we haven't had time to touch on but Hugh and Najee thank you so much for coming and giving us the insights that you have and giving us some some real talk about what brands actually need to uh, get on and do if they want to keep up um, uh, with the, the, the companies out there they're already doing amazing things so thank you so much for again coming. And joining us on the show. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, our Wonderman Thompson technology podcast. You can follow us at One Thompson Tech on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit us at wundermanthompson.com. Make sure you tune in to next month's episode of The Experience Makers, where we'll continue the experience conversation, helping businesses thrive in today's experience economy.